D-E-I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have you noticed these words and this acronym has been a trending topic, not only for our daily lives, but also a valuable conversation for our corporate culture? Not only companies are making this opportunities for a diverse talent group, but also changing their business outlook on this. What are your thoughts on that, George? Indeed, Aleban, there is a lot of potential and value in those words. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, ODEI, has power far beyond buzzwords and corporate workshops. Rather, genuine involvement and investment in DEI has the capacity to shape the trajectory of the world. So what do you think? Are DEI programs overrated or underrated? Well, there's only one way to find out. Stay tuned to our episode to learn more. Welcome to another episode of the Dapper Dollars Podcast, where we answer your finance questions, but a bit with style. I'm Anir Bond. We also have George, and we're the host for your show. So George, what are we talking about today? Uh, today, we're talking DEI and DEI efforts. Um, you see, when we empower and include diverse talent talent pools through equitable opportunities and for, and for advancement, um, everyone benefits, you see, um, through enhanced innovation and productivity, lowering poverty rates and actually increasing health and employment outcomes and so much more. Uh, so we hope to have a very thought-provoking discussion around today's climate of DEI. So, Aneban, who are we speaking with today? Today, we have the pleasure to introduce Ladrika Derrico. She is an Associate Director at Wholesale Business at AT&T. She's received a dual BBA in Finance and Managerial Sciences from Georgia State University and her MBA from the University of Georgia. She is currently the President of the Network DFW Chapter of Black Integrated Professionals, where they provide opportunities for networking to build future generational leaders. Ladrika is a native of Atlanta, Georgia, an avid runner, and a member of the Dallas alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. Welcome, Ladrika. Hi, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. So before we get into the topic of whether DEI programs are overrated or underrated, let's start with a fun icebreaker question. Um, as Dapper Dollars, we always like to ask our guests. So let's just say $10 million show up in your bank account. What would you do with that money? Man, I, well, first I have to check and make sure that, you know, it was a mistake. I'm like, does this belong to me or not? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, uh, the first thing I would do is um, invest in precious metals. So gold is something that holds its value. 15% off the bat invested in gold. Um, then I would look at strategies where um, there's a, a heightened minimum, right? So hedge funds and mutual funds will become my best friend. Why? Because um, I do have a high level for risk. I know that especially with hedge funds, right, there's typically a minimum of about a million. So about 20 to 30 percent hedge funds, 20 percent mutual funds. Let someone manage that for me. Real estate is booming. So I was just in Tulum and I saw property everywhere. They're getting ready to build an airport in Tulum in I think about two years. Now is the time. So I would take about two to three million invested in properties there, knowing that I would get a pretty good return. And then um, the remainder, of course, I would probably, I will put it in a trust. I need 
must have a, the lifetime capital gain exemption. All of my investments and assets will eventually roll there. Why? Because we can't be here forever. And I have to think about future generational wealth. I will have a family and children. And so I need to be able to have a place where it shields them um, from those taxes and allows them to really grow it. So the goal is I get 10 million today, but can I grow it to 100 million tomorrow? So to recap, metals, mutual funds, hedge funds, real estate, and I will roll it all in a trust so that I can protect my assets the best way possible. So that's, and of course I'll have a little fun. I'll go and take a vacation, disappear for about a month. Uh, and then I'll resurface <laughs> after I've completely um, fallen off the grid uh, to do some great things. So that is what I would do if 10 million magically appeared in my account. Nice. Nice. I feel like you've put some thought into this already. You've kind of planned this out already, but also... <laughs> I don't think the listeners know that not only you've had a, a degree in finance, but you also work in finance. So it's awesome that you have a pretty well fleshed out dream for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. The MBA came in handy really, really well. Absolutely. So awesome answer. <laughs> awesome answer. Um, so that, I mean, that is, so that is a really good, good question. I think we tend to ask our guests that, and I would say the, the, the answers have just been diverse. So it's just really cool that people give, give their perspective on how they would handle money. So I appreciate that, that answer. Um, I guess this kind of goes to my main question, which is like, you know, the meat of why we have you here. So, I've had the pleasure to have worked with you in so many, you know, uh, DEI efforts, you know, when I was at AT&T. And so one thing that really sticks out for me when I work with you is your passion, you know, so drawing from your passion for community service. Um, what would you say DEI means to you? Yes, I think that's a solid question. And you're right. I have had the pleasure of working with both of you all in different capacities. And George served on the committee where we focused on financial literacy series. So he helped to lead that. Um, what diversity, equity, and inclusion means to me is, and you said it, it's the ability to change someone's trajectory. It's It goes beyond just education. I think education is the starting point. It establishes solid you know, foundation, but it's giving people the tools and resources where we're not only talking about it, but how do you empower it? You know, people, how do you create that bridge, right? So that people can not only change their trajectory, but when you impact somebody, you impact their family and other generations, right? So it's it's empowering people to make a change. It's closing the, the generational wealth gap that we see today. Um, and then most importantly, it's about action. So diversity, equity, inclusion is not just a buzzword. It is something that invokes action. So what are we going to do about these statistics that we see? You know, how are we going to be a part or a change agent? Um, and that's where I believe diversity, equity, and inclusion and why it's had this heightened. I think, you know, people say it, but it's it's popular because people understand the power of actually doing something and invoking change. Uh, and I do it every day. The re and I get a chance thankfully, to leverage the network as a vehicle to, to really right some wrongs that we see uh, in society and within the four walls of, of AT&T. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue to kind of like what you were mentioning about not only you've defined it and also the opportunity has given it to us in this day and age, but also 
how you have um, kind of like experience from it. And so I wanted to ask you this, where you've been part of this successful award-winning group uh, and you're the CEO of it, right? The, the, the network for the DFW <laughs> awesome. chapter. So how would you share your perspective on about launching and growing a, an ERG? I think that's a good question. Um, you have to think about it. Like my ERG, for example, the network was created in 1969. And if you know what the climate was, it was a need to create these groups to have a space where people can be seen and heard and understood and to push those initiatives. And so I would say that they were organically being created to to fill a need, right? And even today, um, I think it's maybe a blend. Uh, I think they're organically happening as people see gaps of, hey, I don't see this or I don't see myself in this place that's created. Um, but then HR naturally, because to your point, I mean, DE&I can be such a buzzword. You do see HR kind of leaning in and I call it stirring the pot, right? To, to raise those numbers, to, to bring some awareness. I think the best DE&I efforts are ones that organically happen because it's answering um, a problem. It's trying to solve a problem. It's trying to actually do something. Um, anytime you have HR kind of I don't want to say force feeding, but when you have HR stirring the pot, you have to to ask yourself who's really committed to driving the effort, right? Because DEI efforts are about passion. So if someone else is kind of pushing it down, then who's really going to carry that vision? It has to come from someone who's passionate about it. So I would say the best ones organically happen, has to have a mission. What's your purpose? You know, what are the pillars that you stand on and how do you plan to operationalize those pillars? That's how you you bring awareness. And then ultimately, that's how you see um, big initiatives being spun out and actually leaving the four walls of the company and impacting the community. I appreciate that. That's actually a very, very thoughtful answer. And, you know, just to give my perspective on that. So I think DEI uh, started to become a, a, a big thing, you know, post George Floyd. Um, a lot of companies started to pick that up because they saw that was starting to be in the minds of like, you know, minority employees. And well, one thing we've noticed following trends is a lot of those initiatives and programs for some companies have falling flat on their faces. That's why, you know, again, like you said, it, it depends, like, does it grow organically or are they engineered as a way to create like a smoke, uh, a smoke screen for some companies to say, hey, look, we're taking this box, but deep down, we're not actually going down the right way to make sure like things are done properly. So uh, I would love your, your perspective on that because I think, you know, from my workings with you, so you've been with like the network for, for quite a while. So what do you what do you think on, on, on that, basically? So after George Floyd, we did see a lot of companies um, making statements um, and rolling out these initiatives of, hey, we want to hire X amount or we want to dedicate X percent to minority businesses. So you did see see that because there was this heightened awareness, like people were watching, like people were willing to take their dollars Right. And take it somewhere else if they felt like these companies weren't aligning to their goals. And so when these companies felt that pressure and it started to impact the bottom line, then you started to see these engineered programs and initiatives happen. 
Well, the reason why they fizzled is because it still goes back to what is your commitment? What is your mission in your statement? You can't be reactive when it comes to DE and I, you have to be proactive. And so the reactive, hey, you know, we're committed. And then once you didn't hear anything about it or they felt like um, something shifted or, you know, something else big had happened, then that commitment was an anchor. And so it was easy to let it fizzle and just hopefully people will forget about it. But I would always, I would even argue that the climate is not going to change. Um, we just saw, you know, not too long ago, Tyree Nichols. Um, and so that's probably going to spawn a whole nother, you know, set of initiatives, a whole nother set of DE&I. Unfortunately, we cannot be reactive. I would challenge companies today to really make a stance of where they stand when it comes to DE&I, empowering their employees and being an agent of change. Because it, it can't come in waves. It has to be a foundation. Um, and those who don't build it as a foundation is really hard to to really let it build and grow beyond just that initial touch point. I appreciate that. I guess, uh, you know, that, that falls into my next question. So, you know, um, what would you say your biggest advice would be for those companies who have truth to their mission in terms of like building out like a DE&I pro program. They have the truth to their mission. They are actually set on how they want to accomplish things. Basically, how do you get employees excited for that sort of thing? Well, people buy into things that they feel like they had a seat at the table, right? So if I'm rolling out an initiative, I would say have the same people that you're rolling out these programs at the table to help you to draw out and create that blueprint um, because you need to have your your ear to the people. Um, it's hard to to create something with someone in mind if you don't give them a seat at the table. So my first thing is have those people come in, get feedback, you know, ask them what they actually want. <laughs> ask them what the gaps are, <laughs> you know, so that you can, yeah, that's, in, that's important so that you can create and curate something that really addresses the things that you've heard. If you are not connected to your people and if you're not connected to even what's going on externally, macro, micro, it's really hard uh, and you miss a really good opportunity because you don't have your pulse on the people. So that's the first thing. Put people first, listen to what they have to say, and then always be aware of what's going on and how the environment is changing and what that means for the company, but then also what it means at a micro level, which is your people. That's a good point because I think it's so easy for people to either see what the competitors are doing or see what the Google search is doing and then just kind of emulate that. But it's, I think a lot of people don't realize it is a lot of hard work and you have to see what's in front of you, reach out to the people and take, you know, give out those surveys. And if there's not enough responses, send it out again, answer, ask in a different way. So I'd say like, that's one of the hardest parts. Uh, if they were, are going to take the more organic route, what would you say like any other difficult parts of implementing a DNI program? Yeah. I, I also think it's, it's, do you have um, leadership presence? Um, a lot of times, like it's, it's, if you don't have a leader at the table that, draws complete alignment from the top to the bottom, it's hard to let it organically grow. Um, 
I and, and George and both of you guys actually. So years ago, when um, the CEO talked about moving beyond acceptance, I mean, moving beyond tolerance to acceptance and what that mean and sharing that story, like that was important because what it signaled is, hey, I have empathy, I understand. I may not have understood that I have blind spots because of who I am, but now talking and connecting to people, I understand I have a huge blind spot. We need to move beyond this to this and how do we get there? So I think it starts with leadership alignment that's pushing it from top to the, you know, to the bottom. And then it takes, you know, organically people working collectively, you know, reaching across the aisle, expanding the scope. Cause some, you know, I'm a part of the network. It's the black integrated business professionals. 30% of our members are not black, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's also important to expand your scope so that as you're, you're rolling out things, you're still bringing people along and allies are important. You know, we need allies. We need that support. So you need leadership, you need allies, you need a clear vision, and you need the flexibility to include people who may not look like you, but that's a perfect way to educate. Uh, and then just always, always seek to learn. Um, even though I'm president, I've been president for two years, going on three, I still know that there are things that I need to learn, not only about the people who are my members, but I join other EGs. You know, I want to hear what's going on with you all. Like what things are, are you all building? Can we partner? Because, you know, if you want to go fast, you go along, but if you want to go far, you take others with you. So we have to start to find some intersectionality with other groups so that you can amplify what you're doing. Um, you can pull your resources together. So those you know, is what I would say if you want to bolster a DE&I effort or build it, leadership, pulse on the people, clear vision, inclusion, and the ability to expand your scope. As you see things change, um, you need that flexibility uh, to do that. That is awesome. That is awesome. That also speaks to what we're trying to achieve here. So with this podcast, we're trying to actually show that alignment with between like you know your financial health and your mental health too as well so a lot of people who actually go into work there's a lot of dissatisfaction especially when you feel you're not accepted so you speaking on a true ecosystems for employees to actually thrive you know you spoke about leadership allyship can i come into work and be comfortable that will help me be productive and that productive productivity would actually help the bottom line too as well so you actually being able to like you know um show some sort of discernment throughout all of this is just brilliant so i really do appreciate that i'm passionate i don't know if it's, it's creeping out um but that, that really is important to me i mean i you know, I grew up as someone, I lived below the poverty line. Um, oftentimes I've experienced homelessness. So all of the things that, you know, I'm able to now in this seat, I'm able to create initiatives to combat homelessness, right? To to go and offer scholarships and have an expansive scholarship program. So I am fortunate that my experiences have led me to to where I am today. It's a um, it's a sense of like understanding, like you never forget where you come from. You remember how it felt to not have and to not have those resources. So every time I'm putting a post on something or creating something, I'm like, 
you know, even if it's impacting one person, like, did we solve something? Did we help someone? Did we change the trajectory of a family? Even if it's one, that's a win. And so we have to start to even when we're we're developing the metrics around it, right? Understanding that one is enough, but of course we want a hundred, you know, 500, but start somewhere. We all have the ability to impact. Um, so use what you have in your resources to do something. You may not can do a lot. And that's how DE&I efforts happen. It's doing a little bit and, and building on it, connecting, doing a little bit more and building on it. And before you know it, you look back, it's two, three years in and you've established, you know, these string of initiatives that's really doing well. So you have to not be afraid to, to start somewhere. I like how you stated that. And also it just reminded me of another guest that we've interviewed and uh, she's doing phenomenal work with the public education system on, you know, introducing financial literacy at an early age. And one of the comments she made during the interview is what sort of sacrifices am I making? That's more than what my ancestors have done. And something that's, you know, that's relevant to your generation or to your era. And so I think that's so cool that you're doing the same thing, um, you know, and it's also not only because of you have a mission drive purpose, but also you've kind of experienced it. And so that's why you want to uh, make these changes happen. Um, so, you know, you going back to the partnership and ally, how would you recommend for somebody to go about those things if let's just say there is only one sort of minority group, but then you want to make partnership with a different minority group. So it really, it goes true to itself of DE&I, right? Inclusion of all different groups. How would you go about that? You know, I think it just starts with a, a conversation, right? Um, we, there are oftentimes forums or a way to, to really understand who are the leaders in these spaces um, and just starting with a conversation like, hey, would love to grab some time, want to learn more about what you guys are doing, what drives you to do what you're doing, um, what do you have in a pipeline? You know, is there any opportunity once you learn, you may see that there is a complete alignment with some of the things that you're doing. And so then you start to have those conversations and build on, hey, you're doing this, we're doing this. It sounds like we have similar goals. Is there an opportunity as you look at your roadmap this year or next year? for us to partner on this, you know, is there a way to even bring in some external resources? So we're not above, like we love partnering with the EGs, right? We love having those conversations, but we also know the power of bringing community in because it is, it really does take a village. So we find other organizations outside of AT&T and say, hey, can we partner on this? Like, can we leverage the resources? Or even if it's you know these people, we don't. <laughs> Can you help us get in the door? Um, so it's, it's being very creative, but it starts with a conversation and it starts with, hey, what are you doing? Here's what we're doing. Let's see if we can partner. And and oftentimes people, you know, they love to, to feel wanted. <laughs> let's, let's be real. And so when you go to someone and say, hey, I think what you're doing is dope. You know, I think that if we pull our resources together, we can actually magnify or multiply the efforts by, you know, four or five fold. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. And I mean, I'm going to speak in terms of finance. 
it's almost like it's a business case, right? Like you start with, you know, here are these inputs, but if you increase this, then this is what it can grow to and you have a, a good return. Um, and the return extends well beyond financial. Um, the return is you've now built a, a solid network of people and resources that when you start to run the play on other things, you can now go into your playbook and say, hey, this person is on first, this group is on first uh, and expand that way. So I love, and I'm an extrovert, so I don't mind talking to anyone I don't know. I will introduce myself and then have a conversation there because to me, the goal is much, much bigger than that, that awkward moment of, hey, you don't know me. I, like uh, it's, it's bigger than that. So just hop in there and know that people want to be wanted and seen. So I doubt people really push back. <laughs> hey, if you made it this far into this episode, George and I want to give you a big thank you. It means a lot to us that you find our content valuable. And it will mean the world to us if you hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. This would help this episode and future episodes discovered by many others who find this as valuable as you did. Again, thank you. And let's get back to the episode. Well, also, I, I liked how you brought up that it's like, if you look at it as a business, right? Like if you think of two companies doing a like a joint venture, a JV, and they, I think with like partnerships, it's kind of some people might have the fear of stepping on other people's toes, but it really is that you can find other ways to save costs, right? But also see the the similarities of the the purpose and the goal, but also the differences you have that you can bring in as that synergistic opportunity, right? It's about diversification. We we learned it. Like I know we all have books where we can go back and, and diversification. Same thing when it comes to DE and I. Like there are so many pockets and issues that we collectively are solving. You have to diversify even the people that you have at the table, a, a diversification of thought of the type of resources like we may have be over indexed here and they may be over indexed there. Okay. Well now we, now we're, now we're talking because you're filling some gaps. And so you have to not be afraid to diversify your network when it comes to DE and I, because there are so many things that we're trying to solve for from, you know, education um, resources, homelessness, like how do you target it? Well, you have to, diversify your village and be willing to get in the trenches. Like, I think that's what a true DE&I program, it's not afraid to get in the trenches to, to solve a problem. You know, surface level DE&I programs, they fizzle just like that. Nobody talks about it, it falls flat, but people who are in the trenches and really know the power of of targeting, you know, generation or closing that that wealth gap. Um, like for example, we have some things, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. That you know, we we asked our members, what's you know, what's going on? What's important to you? What are some pain points? And they came back and said, hey, home ownership. Like I don't feel like I can buy a house now. Inflation is is high. Interest rates are, are like I'm priced out of the market. And so then that automatically said, OK, well, well, what can we create? Who can we bring to the table to actually start to provide some resources and solutioning? So it's it's getting in the trenches enough to, to find where the issues are and then roll up your sleeves to, to solve it. So it's fun. <laughs> Who would have known the fundamentals of finance 
would be answering our hard-hitting DEI question. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and especially like towards when you solve, when you're building like your return on investments statement, so you have a program I, I, idea. I remember like, you know, so when I worked with you on like setting up the financial literacy class like a couple of years ago, I remember when we started to like, you know, fill out for like partners and stuff, I think what happened is because we had such a solid ROI statement. Like, so when they, we came into rooms and said, hey, what are you hoping to get with this? But because we had proactively done like temperature checks on like members, what are you looking, what gap are you looking to fill? A lot of people said, hey, I want to save more. I want to know how to budget. And we focused those, like, you know, writing out that program based on that. And the success was just like really awesome. So that does make sense. I think importantly, that ability that you do a temperature check first to see, to make sure at least you are hitting the right notes, then the rest is history. So um, what would you say, like, you know, we've, we've discussed about, like, you know, we've had conversations around, like, okay, like your mission, your vision, you know, um, you know, going, going about getting the right partnerships. What would you say from your experience um, has been the most difficult part of implementing a DEI program? I mean, I know you've, you've actually held and implemented tons. <laughs> You're one of like the, the most hardworking people I know. And so what would you say from your experience, can you share with like our listeners has been or has been the most difficult part of, of that? Um, I think that the most difficult part is, is being, you know, we don't always have the resources and that's from financial or just human capital um, oftentimes. So I know, and we've seen it across, you know, industries, you know, there's massive layoffs, um, you know, impacting everyone. And, and so naturally for me as president, I lost four e-board members in a matter of four months. And so imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're ready to, to go on some things that we've done a post check. We've done all, we, we've checked the box and said, Hey, this is good. This answers the mail, and then you you lose resources that kind of was instrumental in helping you get there. And so then there's the whole um, mental aspect, right? So we were leaving COVID, and so people were naturally just trying to find their way. And so I think the most challenging thing, honestly, was when we were dealing with I call it the the perfect storm. COVID was here, um, and the remnants of that we still feel it today. Um, even the economy was impacted. So companies are having layoffs. And so it's really getting people or galvanizing people and getting them to, to be connected. Right. And so what I had to do was target a different issue. So the whole physical and mental health, and I know it sounds crazy because we're talking finance and this is the dapper dollar podcast, but oftentimes you can't pour from an empty cup. And so it said, okay, I know that we want to launch these things because this is what we heard, but this is what we're seeing. And so it goes back to the flexibility of saying, I know that this is the mission. I know that these are the pillars. We have to be hyper-focused on this because if we solve this, then we can solve these other things. Um, and it was learning to scale back. Sometimes you have to take a, a moment, scale back and reset um, it doesn't mean that the DE&I efforts fizzle, but you have to take into consideration all those things and make adjustments. We made some adjustments 
still challenging, right? Dealing with all of those things and lack of resources. But now we're at a place I finally bought in my last, we're swearing in my last member next week. Um, but now we're at a place where, you know, we're fully staffed, um, still have some of the same challenges, but it's learning to, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You make adjustments, you see where you can maybe scale back, still do the initiative. It's okay to do a pilot, a soft pilot, because some people think DNI it has to be big. <laughs> like it has to be big. It has to be this. DNI efforts, it doesn't have to be big to make an impact. It's okay to do pilots. It's okay to adjust. It's okay to make tweaks. Um, don't lose the fervor, but make adjustments until you weather those storms because we're always going to have pockets of things that impacts and, and throws us off the path. But how committed are you and how flexible are you to actually achieving a goal? You may have to push your timeline out. That's okay. You may have to you know, move dollars from here to there. That's okay. But until you can get to the place where you can do a full out, you know, whatever that is, be okay with scaling back as you you weather the storm. And um, that has worked for us. Um, we even in the midst of all of that, we I told George in a, another conversation, we won our first, you know, first award at our employee resource conference. And we've been trying to win for like five years. <laughs> and so, yeah, but it's. But, you know, when you sow seeds like DE and I, I would equate it to you have to sow the seeds. And so when you sow seeds, you have to toil the, you know, toil the soil. It's hard to to break that ground up to sow those seeds, but you have to. You have to toil. You have to sow those seeds. But guess what? The harvest does come with these DE and I initiatives. If you're consistently like not only sow the seeds, but are you cultivating? Are you like nourishing? Are you giving it water? Are you like actually paying attention to these things? If yes, then you'll see the harvest. Like you'll see the manifestation of all of those things rolled up into one. And so my biggest encouragement to people who may be discouraged as they're in the beginning of their DEI journey, toil the soil, sow those seeds, the harvest will come, but you have to be consistent. You have to be committed um, because little things grow into big things. Uh, and so never think, never count yourself out and think that you can't make that impact, but you have to honestly, you know, start somewhere. I like that. I like that, especially your, your, your call out th towards recognition. I think, um, as human beings, we're wired as we as to when we're recognized for something, it kind of galvanizes us to go do more. And, you know, that makes you bigger and better, basically. And you feel appreciated too as well. What, what would you say, you know, what part would you say funding plays towards like implementing pro-M grams? I know a lot of DEI programs, they fall flat because sometimes they don't have that leadership support in terms of like being funded um so from your experience has that been is that something you call out as being a difficulty as well uh, yeah most definitely i mean um we you know when i came in as i started as the chief program officer and then i you know of course got elected as president but the main thing that i noticed that we we just didn't have the budget we were looking at other adjacent egs and they had these executive sponsors that was giving them like 25,000, 30,000, 40,000, you name it. 
And so I start to look and I'm like, man, we don't even have a fraction of that. Like, how do we even, how do we get there? <laughs> like, because we, we just, we didn't have it. We didn't have, I mean, when I said, and, and it's interesting, I would say, hey, I'm president of the network. And people would say, what's the network? <laughs> what do you mean? We, we were like the first G ever at AT&T and people didn't know who we were. And so we had to navigate the fact that there was not a lot of brand awareness. We didn't have deep pockets. We didn't have sponsors. And so what we did and what I would encourage other people to do is we started what we call fun, like fundraising efforts um, to help create this funnel. So we we rolled out Celebration of the Arts. Um, it was this way to highlight minority talent in the city. So singers, painters, um, musicians, like you name it, everything in the art. So people came out and they were vibing. They were having a good time. Well, guess what? We made $5,000 in profit that year. And that 5000 created the first, um, we created the Celebration of the Art Scholarship. And so we were able to award. So we didn't award five because we had to, you know, pay back some things or, or invest in other things, but we awarded 3000 you know, and then we created other programs. So we called them, you know, fundraising efforts that had dual purpose. Um, and we, we call it party with a purpose. So we tend to do things that people entertainment focus that was front facing, but we were taking all of those funds and we were planning it in areas that we know that we wanted to grow in. So we launched the Easting program with Family Gateway. It's a homeless shelter provider because we felt like that was a blind spot. You know, our children that are impacted by homelessness still need an opportunity to compete and to have the lifestyle that that everyone hopes for. So we were able to launch the Easting program for um, students impacted by homelessness. Then we were able to do Juneteenth, which was a big program. And we launched um, our Juneteenth sneaker ball last year. We bought in 15,000. Well, guess what? That was able to fund our minority case competition that we want to launch. And so I would say, you know, be creative. Like if you don't have the resources, find a way to creatively. And then we, we asked for sponsors. So not only within AT&T, we found other, you know, businesses and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Because the worst someone can say is no. We had a couple of no's, but we had more yeses when people said, hey, we like what you're doing. We'll donate this or we'll donate the venue for you or we'll donate. And so we were fortunate to find people to align with what we were doing and articulate that vision where then we, we created this funnel. And now we're in a very healthy place without sponsorship, right? So we were able to to pad our, our accounts where now we can do multiple things, but that didn't stop there. We're looking into grants. So we have someone who did grant writing, like how can we leverage grants to do some of these things? How do we, you know, tap into some of the leaders, right? Um, who are sponsoring these other EGs? How do we make friends um, and bring them to the table? So you, you have to be creative. Um, the worst someone can say is no. Sometimes it's as simple as asking. Uh, and then be able to articulate it though. Because it's one thing to say, hey, give me, I would like 20,000. And somebody's like, okay, 20,000. But it's another thing to say, hey, I want 20,000. I want to take this 20,000. I want to put 5,000 towards 
you know, building out this program, I want to take another, you know, six, seven thousand to put into the scholarship program when you can support and articulate the ask. A lot of times people are more inclined. It's all about business case. You got to talk about the costs and the benefits. And it's always, hey, this is what we're going to do with it. And you have to be a good steward of those resources. So, yep, we had those problems, um, but we just found a creative way to generate that funnel until we can get the sponsorships to come in. You mind if I ask you, do your sponsors, aka investors, would do you do they ask for an ROI or is it really a sponsorship and they because they believe in the cause or does it vary? Uh, it varies. Uh, a lot of times, you know, it's they believe in the cause and they themselves, you know, sometimes small businesses really understand and, and could connect with some of the things that we're saying. But other things, it's like, hey, you know, we'll give you three thousand. But I need my name everywhere. I need this poster here. I need you in all the publications because they need to expand their footprint, right? Because this is a marketing opportunity for them. And so we so we've gotten smarter um, when we are engaging investors. We'll say, hey, here's what's in it for you. Like here's the vision, and here's what we're trying to solve for, but here's what's in it for you. You know, heighten awareness, you know, expand your footprint you know, visibility to some senior executive leaders who could open the door for other business opportunities. So we've learned to um, speak the jargon <laughs> and say the words that people want to hear because, you know, it. oftentimes, I mean, it is a business for some of them. And so we want to make sure that both parties walk away and feel like they're leaving the table with something. No one wants to leave money on the table. No one wants to leave resources on the table. So we try to make sure um, that we're honoring that and um, respecting our our investors and and giving them something to walk away with too. Let's say now that you've gotten the funding, you did a program, and then how do you exactly measure or track that success uh, for the employees or for the program, for the members of that ERG? No, I think that's a a solid question. Um, I think it's important to establish the metrics before you actually do the program. And so it it comes in the initial ideation phase. Um, And so one example I would use is we're launching our financial empowerment series, uh, very similar to financial literacy, but we felt like financial empowerment was just more powerful. It was a powerful statement. So we're, we're launching a financial empowerment series. We call it Two Track Tuesdays. So I will share information once we, we launch. We actually have our first one, uh, February the 28th. But before we, we roll it out, um, we're partnering with FinCast and Ostrich. Um, we said, hey, what does success look like? You know, what are we trying to solve? Like, yes, we want to empower, but what do we want to solve? Um, and the two things we said is, We want to talk financial wellness. How do they navigate the economic pressures that we're seeing today? And what's the pathway to home ownership? Because remember, we did a post check. And one of the things that was glaring was our member said, hey, I don't think I can buy a house. So we made sure that we created two tracks. And so what success looks like is, are we getting people to actually come? (laughs) Like, did we expand our reach? Did we do a good job marketing it? Because it's hard to change something if people are not in the room. Um, FinCast is a company that created this algorithm that anomalizes 
you know, who you are, your race, so that you have a more favorable rate. And so they're in the process of working with um, getting capital, um, but it's something that is work. And they, they're partnering with like Freddie Mac and all of these other firms and bringing people to the table because they created it with minorities in mind. They said, hey, minorities typically pay more in interest rates. They're, they're paying more for their house. And even when they sell their house, they're getting less for their house. So he created this to solve that. And so we have Benjamin from FinCast who's helping to lead that. He's bringing some friends along from other adjacent industries. And the goal there is, can we have at least 20 or more people who are interested in buying a house? Can we connect them to the right people? Because they will be in a room. 20 or more, check. That's a metric. For the financial wellness, we have Ostrich, which is a financial wellness company. William, who is the co-founder, partnered with uh, Christina Christina Brooks now. Sorry, she changed her name. Um, but they're talking about financial wellness. And they're talking about here are the resources that you need in very similar, you know, savings, um, you know, what ways can you change your portfolio? Like, and so it's like, it's pairing at least 20 or more to that. Now, 20 is a low number. Yes. But it's just a baseline. Of course, we want to knock it out the park, but you have to start somewhere. Um, and if we're able to achieve that, then when we do it again, the next quarter after we do a survey, well, what's pressing, right? And then we start to curate very actionable initiatives around what we're hearing that people need and then bringing the right people in the room so that they can talk to these people and get these resources and begin to, to do things that they felt like they could never do. And that's powerful when someone says, I don't think I can buy a house. And then you pair them with the right person. And months later, you know, they're talking about their first time homeowner. That is powerful. And so that is, you know, you have to start with what does success look like in mind? Um, and then you work backwards. Uh, and so that's that's how we typically look at it. Um, and then, of course, we, we're using, you know, sponsorship dollars from uh, different, you know, leaders in the business. And so then we can go back to them and say, hey, these funds that you gave us, here's how many we had in a room. Here's how many people were actually had a pathway and then you can actually report on it and they can really feel like they had a good return on, on that investment because of the metrics that you came back and communicated to them. That is actually a very awesome, um, you know, initiative. I think, you know, my big takeaway from that is just how that's all manifests into a snowball effect. For, for example, someone who doesn't know about like a home or learning to invest and you take that, and that person comes in and has a workshop or two, then that knowledge and you're sitting within friends and family and then you get to teach them too as well. They take that. And in a way, it sort of starts to create awareness where, you know, just from one seed, you grow a whole tree. So that that is brilliant. I, I like that. You have a harvest. Like you really, I, I, you, I think the thing that I always keep in mind is when you, when you touch one person, you touch a family, and you touch generations to come. And if you always keep that at the forefront, then those sacrifices, because we may, I mean, I don't get paid to be president <laughs> of the network. I do not get paid. I don't get a kickback. I don't get invited to any special events. You know, this is strictly, you know, voluntary for me. 
Um, and sometimes it's a lot of hours. And what makes the sacrifice worth it is when you hear those success stories, when you see children, you know, like we do a coded shoe drive every year. Um, so when you see people really being impacted by what you do, like that's that that's enough to, I think, um, keep you motivated and inspired. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. Brilliant. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for being on the show and for our listeners, you know, and people who are, who are hearing about this topic for the first time. And I feel just the takeaways are just tremendous. And so can you let our listeners know how they can connect with you. Absolutely. There are a couple of ways. I mean, of course, I'm always on LinkedIn. I've, I've learned the power of LinkedIn. So LaDrica C. Derrico on LinkedIn from a social media handle, Drica, D-R-I-C-A underscore the diva uh, is my IG handle. Um, if you guys ever want to find me and just have conversation or if you want to follow the network DFW's um, IG. It's the network N E T W O R K underscore DFW. Um, you can also get in contact with me that way. Would love to help you with your DEI strategy. Um, let's be great. Let's make 2023 so much better um, than 2022 was. And let's move beyond just talking about it to actually doing something. Uh, let's do that this year as well. Hey, thank you again for being on the show. I loved how even from the beginning, you talked about, you know, reach out to your audience, reach out to what do they want. And then you're able to share that, your experiences and your successes that came about. How does it look like to launch a program? So we appreciate all the advice that you've given us. And also finally, we want to thank our listeners out there that for, thank you for tuning in. Uh, really help us out if you can smash that like button and subscribe to our channel. And if you want to reach out to us again, like you love this topic, uh, feel free to leave a comment and we'll be sure to reach out to you. And all the links, especially Ledrica's handles, will be written out in the description box below across all channels. Last but not least, don't forget to look good, feel good, do good. See you at the next episode. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.